Welcome to the eight, I should say. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. There is a temptation for every Jesus follower, and honestly, anyone who subscribes to any type of worldview, there's a temptation of like, so if I do X, Y, Z, then I'm good to go. If I do X, then Y should happen, right? Because our mind, it's just how we're wired. We love transactions. Like if I do X, I should do Y, right? If I think of my own marriage, well, if I did the dishes, then I expect to be respected or loved more, right? I feel like if I do something, then I should expect something in return. So naturally, our mind naturally goes into the direction, I need to do X in order for Y to occur. So when it comes to spirituality, sometimes we feel, well, if I just have communion, if I just go to church, if I just give, you know, whatever that bare minimum is, I'm going to do 10%. After tax, I'm going to make sure I'm going to do the bare minimum, or before, after, whatever's cheapest, right? I want to do the bare minimum. I want to just get enough to get away so I can just get the fast pass to get into heaven through the back door, right? And, you know, things are kind of crazy at home. Things are crazy at school. Things are crazy at work. So maybe I'll go to church just so I can get, like, a special blessing, do the sign of the cross a couple of times, say certain prayers, and I'm good to go. And then I come to church, get that blessing so God can help me with something. And then I go back and hit the ground running to the busy, nonstop lifestyle that you and I have subscribed ourselves to. I think we can relate to the words of King Solomon, who said this in the 9th century BC. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless. It's as if I was chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained other, under the sun. You know, one of the blessings, I guess, of, of ministry is, that, you know, I know this might sound bad. I've had the blessing, I don't know if I'm allowed to use that word, of being at the deathbed of some people and spending time with them, hearing their confession, and <laughs> they look back and be like, I was chasing after the wind. I was so focused on my career, so focused on the, the dollars, so focused on whatever. And I, I, I feel like, I, they, they, obviously, they're not saying I'm chasing after the wind, but they're saying these words. And I think all of us can relate to this to some sort. Like, we just go, go, go. We're so fast-paced in life because I got to take the kids here. I got to get this done. We have to plan the trip, and, and we're just nonstop. And then you take a step back and be like, where did this year go? Where did this month go? Where did the past six months go? How are we already in October? 20? So it, it, the, the list goes on and on because sometimes we end up just chasing after the wind because we feel that life is a competition. <laughs> and get this, sometimes we end up chasing other people because I want to be like him, I want to be like her, I want to reach up to their status, and it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? But the funny thing is, that other person doesn't even know there's a competition, but we feel like I have to be like that person. Moms, I feel like I, I got to look like that mom, or I have to have my house clean like that, that person's mom. And we, we feel like we're, we're trying to catch up to other people, and we make up this fictitious competition that doesn't even exist, and we create it, and we end up chasing our tail, we're chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained under the sun. All of this leads to discontentment, right? We, we, we've been there. We've done that. We might th be there right now. We're never content. We're, we're, we're always looking for bigger and better and more and the next thing. Right? We're always discontent, right? I'm guilty of this. You're on a trip. What do you do on the last day of your vacation, your trip? Guys, we need to plan for the next one, right? We're planning the next one because we're, we're always looking for something more. You, you see this with drugs and alcohol and porn. I, I need, it has to be something more. It has to be something more. We're always looking for something more. There's always discontentment. That appetite is never filled. This is why in ancient Christianity, one of the parts that always hit me 
is St. Basil, in the fourth century, wrote these words in which we pray till today. We w desire, I'm paraphrasing here, we desire to be sufficient in everything. Desire to be sufficient. Wouldn't you love to be just content? Right, right? You know, you're not chasing to be like that person, look like that other person, or have that. No, just to be content. Right? It's so attractive, but it's so hard to attain in American culture because we're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're trying to strive to gain the approval of everyone when in reality, we're hungry for the approval of one. People have different language, different terminology, you know, for various things, but I think most of humanity can agree that they desire the power of God, the desire to have the power of God, to be one with God, or to, 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 to desire to be one with God, right? The different language, different world use different, definitely different definition of who God is. That's a different story altogether. That's a different series. But everyone wants the power of God, right? Everyone can agree with that. But then a convert to Christianity gave us an explicit understanding of how we can attain the power of God. And he gives like a, a dichotomy here, and he says it this way. St. Paul says this to the Corinthians. For the message of the cross, right, the message of the cross here seems foolish to those who are consumeristic, to those who are what's in it for me, to those who are this is, this is all that life is and I'm just chasing, this is, this is it, everything is here. and I'm just trying to gain status, influence, power, authority here. So the cross itself is foolish. For someone to accept death by his own will and, and to die in such a pathetic criminal type of way, it's foolish. It's, it makes zero sense. But to those who are perishing, to those who think this is everything, this is, this is all life has to offer, it's foolish. It makes zero sense. But to those who are being saved, here, here like this is critical here for those who know, like the, I, I'm not, oh, English here. I, you all know English. But my point is, for those who are being saved, it's not a past tense thing. You, I'm continuously being saved. To, to those who are living a salvific life, who are yearning for edification, it's continuous. It's not a one-thing one thing. And I want to make this clear, because St. Paul's using this language because some versions of Christianity says, well, if you just get baptized, you're saved. If you just come up to the altar and accept Christ, you're saved. Cool, but the fuller understanding, and here St. Paul echoes it, is that I was saved, I am saved, and I am being saved. It's continuous. Right? You, you know, you, for those who are married, you just, did I go up to the altar and get married? He says, we're married, Sarah. We're married. And that's it? No. I, I was married, and I'm living out that marriage. I'm dying to my pride. I'm, I'm dying to that old person to live for another person. So th that's continuous. So St. Paul's intentionally saying, the message of the cross is, it makes zero sense to those who are perishing. But for those who are being saved, who are wanting edification, who are wanting salvation, and living that out, it's dynamic, it's ongoing, it's, it's moving. Being saved. It, which, which is the cross, it is the power of God. It makes zero sense to the, to the logic how the cross, for a good amount of people, it's a, maybe it's a good luck charm. For some people, it's a tattoo. For some people, it's a necklace. And I forgot my necklace. I feel super naked. I left it in the church. But for some people, it's just a necklace. For others, it's just uh, I put on my house, put on my car, you know, just for a good luck charm. I went to Greece this summer. What's that whole evil eye thing that everyone has at the, what is it called? You guys, the blue eye, I don't know what it is. 
So they, they, they see it as like, it's like a, it's a good luck charm. This, the, and people treat the cross in the same way. They put that blue eye thing, I see it in every shop and everything, as, as if it's like a good luck charm. And, then, and, and, and that's it. But it unlocks the power of God. Okay, let's make this more practical and tangible, because right now kind of we're talking up in the sky here. How is the cross the power of God? Here's something that's very unattractive. I know this is two eights in a row, which I'm giving an unattractive message, but this is what leads to the power of God. The key that unlocks, unlocks the power of God is something which, even if you're not a Christian, you can agree on this. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. God opposes those who feel like, I know what I'm doing, I don't need, like, I got it, and I can do it my own, and I know what I'm doing, and he doesn't get me, she doesn't get me, I don't need counsel, and then, you know, he, he doesn't, if he was in my shoes, he wouldn't, he would do, whatever, you name it. But God opposes those who feel like, I got my, my life all together, I don't need any help, right? You and I naturally don't lean into those who are prideful, right? Like, I, I love sports, right? So I, it's, it's, it's horrible when you hear, you know, a, a superstar saying, yeah, we won this game because of me, right? Imagine, for those who are Messi fans in soccer, imagine if Messi, post-game conference, he's like, yeah, we won because, you know, I came to America and we're the best now because it's me. It's unattractive. You would probably flip the channel. That's dumb. You don't want to hear that. It's unattractive. But humility, we naturally lean in toward, right? We naturally lean in toward to those who lead a life of humility, who acknowledge, you know what, I don't have all my life all together. Or those who acknowledge, I do need other people. Or for those who acknowledge, yeah, no, this was a team win. It wasn't just about me. We naturally lean in toward that. You might be more accepting to do something for someone if they ask in a humble way, as opposed to those who are saying, I need you to do this. But for somebody who might ask you humility or they're needing help and they're asking with a posture of humility, you and I naturally lean in toward that. But it's, it's unnatural, right? None of us are tempted to be humble, <laughs> Oh, I was tempted to be humble. No, it's, we're not tempted to be humble. We're tempted to be prideful. We're tempted to be cocky. We're tempted to be like, I got to have my life all together. We naturally lean in that direction of temptation. So to put on humility is so unnatural to our brokenness. But this is what leads to the cross. I want to share with you an example of humility to make this even more practical and tangible to our lives. This is... I don't want to use painting. This icon here is following the Coptic Orthodox tradition of iconography. And you see here Jesus um, doing a miracle which is recorded in all four Gospels. Many Gospels would give the title, if you're looking in the Bible, it says like feeding the multitude or feeding the 5,000. So it's unique how this sign, this supernatural event, is recorded in all four records of Jesus' life. It is the only event, really, only miracle what Jesus did, which is recorded in detail in all four Gospels. So it is some kind of very unique. So as you can imagine, Jesus feeding thousands and thousands of people. So of course, people are naturally going to be leaning in toward Jesus more because they just got a free lunch, right? So they're highly attracted to following Jesus, and they're wanting to put him on a pedestal, right? Yes, you're, some people are saying, you are the king, you're the Messiah. Some people are saying, you are the king of free lunch. Everyone has their own agenda of why they're following Jesus, right? Some of them are good, some of them are healthy, some of them are just because they want free stuff, you name it. So everyone's kind of leaning in toward Jesus a little bit more. And St. John records this in his gospel. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, because it was just a sign. It wasn't just doing a miracle of like, look at me, I'm the, I'm the bomb, I just did a miracle, right? No, it wasn't that. He was doing a sign to point to something bigger. So he did a sign with food to point them to mystical food, 
which is his body and his blood. And you can find all the details in John chapter 6, because this passage, John chapter 6, is probably the most divisive passage of everything Jesus said to all of Christendom. Like, Christianity has caused so much division just because of what Jesus was trying to say in John chapter 6. But he was doing this sign, not just to, like, fill everyone's belly and everyone's happy they got free lunch, yay, it's a great day. No, he was trying to point them to another type of food, mystical food, which is communion. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, right? Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You definitely don't raise your hand. People are applauding you. You did a good job. You're a big deal. You did something cool. You did something great. You just like, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. What'd you say again? Did you say it louder? Do we withdraw? Do we leverage our authority or our success for others? Or do we take it and allow that pride and authority and success blind us? There's example after example in Scripture and all throughout human history and honestly and even in our own lives that as success comes upon us, we begin to distance ourselves from others. But here Jesus gives us an example of self-denial. So unattractive. Self-denial. But this is the way of the cross. This is the way to life. This is the way to the power of God. To leverage my success and authority to aid others and to help others and not allow me to put myself on a pedestal and I become blinded and I end up hurting others. But the way of the cross requires self-denial. He withdrew himself because people were following him, maybe for not the best reasons or just wanting a free lunch, but he withdrew. We say this liturgically. It's all throughout Scripture, but we pray this as St. Basil said these words. Jesus loved his own. He loved his own, and you and I are his own, his precious children. He loved his own who are in the world, and as a ransom on our behalf, he gave himself up to death. This was a creed. This was a marching order. This is the, the, this is, this is the, the, this is the foundation of Christianity, that it wasn't just love in a nice fluffy way or what was convenient or just Jesus. God didn't write, just write some text saying, oh, I love you guys so much. And they're like, we love you too, Jesus. We love you, God. No, that he gave of himself. To what point? To death. Then St. Paul took these words and went to town with it. When he's telling men and women how they should honor and love each other and submit to one another, encourage one another, he tells them, you do it. He's telling the husbands, because we read this in every wedding and it always gets to me. St. Paul says, husbands, you need to love your wives. And they're probably like, cool, yeah, we need to love our wives. No, St. Paul's, you need to love your wives just as Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He gave himself up to death. This is what you and I are invited to. This is the way of the cross. Every Holy Week, I always ask the deacons, can I read this? Pa I don't pass it out. I want to read this certain thing myself. And the thing I love for us to read is on Thursday night, we read John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. And I asked the deacons, I want to read it because it's so emotional to me. 
it's so countercultural that as Jesus gathered his disciples for that last supper, for them to celebrate Passover, he gathers them together. And they are expecting servants to come and prepare the food and prepare them, you know, they need to wash and all, you know, their etiquette as far as washing their hands and feet and things like that. But then Jesus then gets on the floor himself and then tells his disciples to, to, to get in line. And he begins to wash their feet. And I'm sure none of them spoke a word because they looked at the hands of Jesus and they, they know what those hands can do. They know what those hands, they, they saw it for the past few years. They know what those hands can do. And they saw Jesus deny himself, give himself, and wash feet, including Judas. Don't raise your hand again to this. But do you know people that hurt you and betray you? and do something behind your back and you want to give it to them? Imagine having to wash their feet. Judas already had a plan in motion. And here's Jesus washing his feet. Because 24 hours later, he's God. He's Jesus. He knows. None of them were to be found. And he still washed their feet, knowing this is the last hours. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for, for that is what I am. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I don't think they had a word to say to that because they saw love in action in a way that was so unnatural, so countercultural for what Jesus did. You're a big deal. You're, you're the man, you're the woman, you're the bomb, right? You, you, you're, you're a big deal. In the workplace, in the school place, in home, and you're, 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 you, you have success. Do you leverage that to help those who are in need? Or is it it's a doggy dog world, right? I'm, I'm going to keep on going. I'll go do the church thing every now and then just so God can give me more of a blessing so I can go back out there and compete. Do you leverage your authority for others? This is the way of the cross. This is the way to the power of God. And he paved the way, not through text, not through, you guys should really think about doing this. No. He did it in action and left those 12 men speechless and leaves us speechless that he gave himself up to death for his own. And you and I are his. A few minutes after this, Jesus looks them in the eye and tells them as they're leaning in on the table, because they're sitting on the floor, it's a low, it's a low table, right? And they're all kind of leaning like this. You sit on the floor, you got some pillows and leaning in. Jesus looks at them and tells them, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. 
since our Savior has chosen you and me, the way to life requires something so unnatural and unattractive, denying ourselves and leveraging what we have been entrusted with for others. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, your love for us was put in action to the point of death, that you gave up of yourself for you, for, for me, and for all of us. Lord, our words are minimal of our response to your love for us but we accept the invitation of the cross and we take up our cross to deny our ego, deny what's in it for me, deny our success, deny our authority, and for us to give of ourselves in the same way you have given up of yourself because Lord, this is what we know leads to life. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.